C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood Welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats And I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Yergi. And boy, campers, we are so excited for today's guest Anyeti Essien of Edom Spark Really exciting um, business that I can't wait for Anyeti to share more about during the interview portion, but thank you, Anyeti, for being here. Thank you for having me. So before we jump into the segments, Anyeti, to place you kind of on the generational spectrum, if you wouldn't mind sharing with our guests where you grew up, um, how old you are, and then a little bit about your business and what you're doing now. Sure, sure. So I am originally from upstate New York. Um, Grew up in Albany, New York. I am you know, built my career in New York City, so the concrete jungle. And now I'm a Southern Belle because I'm based in Charlotte, North Carolina. So I've had a little bit of all of that. And I'm a child of Nigerian immigrants. And so I've always sort of been in between cultures, you know, um, having West African traditions and roots, but also um, being brought up here in the U.S. so in terms of where I fall in the millennial spectrum, I do have a baby face, okay? So there's <laughs> that. People always think I'm younger than I am, but I am sort of on the cusp, you know, um, you know, between millennial and Gen X, right? So I am in my early 40s. And I really think that I appreciate both worlds, right? Because I think that there are aspects of, probably the early part of my career where I was really focused on like putting my head down, working hard, working within the traditional corporate ladder and sort of climbing the ranks. And now I'm sort of trying to experiment with having a little more fun. And we'll probably get into that in in this uh, interview today. It's really sort of coloring outside the lines, thinking outside the box and just really sort of turning the world upside down, right? That's really what happened to me as a result of being laid off from my dream job, which really made me think about things so much differently. So today I am the Chief Swagger Officer at Edem Spark, okay? Uh, uh, It is the wellness community for rockstar executives, and we empower busy professionals to reclaim their health, spark their joy, and rock their careers. So I'll focus primarily today to talk a little bit about my entrepreneurial journey, how I've sort of navigated my career, and how I've sort of been able to kind of live life a little bit off the beaten path. Great. I am so excited to hear this story. Yay. <laughs> right. All right. Um, so Shay, going right into our hot topics of the day. What is your hot topic, Shay? Well, I wanted to keep it light today because and just share a amazing revelation I had this morning, really, um, that linen pants with a waist, like a stretchy waistband, sweatpants of summer. <laughs> I bought three or four maybe four pairs from Old Navy. Um, And this is in part, uh, and yet I'm hopefully traveling to India later this year for work and I'm very excited. And my cousin who travels there often or did pre-pandemic was like, 
you you know there's very specific you know clothing requirements but also it is very hot so even in november when we're hopefully going to be going so i was like okay i gotta stock up on everything now but i'm like these are amazing i'm gonna wear them every day all summer because i'm not really a skirt person so um again wanted to keep it light but for all of our millennials who are like how am i going to transition my sweatpant couture to summer i'm going to recommend linen pants they also look very professional i'm thinking about like maybe even what wearing them out in public many times so that's my advice for for everyone and then i had a more serious article about why millennials are broke but i think i'm going to save that one for next time. a good teaser have you yeah. been rocking the sweatpant couture and yeti or what's your yeah. work from home attire so it's it's been a little mix right i think the pajama bottoms have gotten their rotation you know and it's funny because i've done like some keynotes and i'm like it's party on the top pajamas on the bottom like that has just been the routine so shay i'm totally on board with this i think elastic has really saved all of our sanity in this past year and i'm totally on board love it yeah it is it's truly a lifesaver all right maddie can we hear your hot topic for the day yeah so mine um hopefully you know a little heavier but hopefully not not too heavy but i've just been thinking a lot this week with the recent news about the johnson and johnson vaccine getting put on hold which is really unfortunate but i think it sparked a lot of conversations about women's health and how effects of all sorts of medications and treatments affect women and men differently and i think we've talked about that on this podcast in the past in relation to birth control. And I wanted to bring it up, especially with Yeti on the call with the intersection of wellness and business being a huge part of what you do with clients. So just wanted to kind of throw that out there as, you know, a group of all millennial women identifying folks on the call, like how has that news hit with you this week? Um, you know, as someone who's had my own journey, I'm on a journey right now of you know, dealing with some health crises. Um, totally fine and Yeti. Um, the, you know, I've had, I'm kind of on a personal health journey right now with some female issues, shall we say, and it's been really crazy navigating the healthcare system. So just wanted to open up that conversation. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that, Maddie. You know, in a large part, why I created EDEM Spark was in honor of my mom's memory. Um, and so the word EDEM in my parents' language means body. And it was really important for me to create a space where women of every shape and shade and size were truly welcome to thrive. And part of that really involves elevating women's voices, right? Creating a platform where they can be more informed, make more informed choices and really lead healthy, wealthy and fulfilling lives. And part of that involves us getting more in touch with our own bodies and and having greater agency and greater ownership, right? And I think a lot of times in the healthcare system, I spent 20 years of my career in health and wellness, right? Really navigating the uh, traditional healthcare paradigms. And, you know, my mom's experience um, was not ideal. She didn't fit the characteristics of what a typical lung cancer patient looked like because she had never smoked. And so she was misdiagnosed with pneumonia until it was too late. And it was much too late for any meaningful medical intervention. So 
after losing her, it really made me think about how can we actually fix a broken health system? How can we make it more human-centered? How can we actually transform the way care is delivered? Um, and so I spent the bulk of my career doing exactly that. And I recognize, right, we're in, you know, this is a lot of focus on maternal health. I know you just talked about like women's health issues. And a lot of times when we go into a healthcare setting, there's this asymmetry of information because it's assumed that the clinician knows more about our bodies than we do, right? And sometimes we know when something's off. And so it's really about sort of getting more confident, right, with knowing and being in tune with your body, but then um, being courageous and actually advocating and getting the best treatment for yourself. And so I'm really passionate about this issue. It's one that I had to navigate, you know, when I transitioned into the wellness entrepreneurial space because I didn't see myself reflected in the work. I didn't see folks who look like me. I am a plus size woman. I am a woman who has a diverse background, right? And culture that wasn't reflected in the services that were being offered to me. And so I had to build what I could not see, right? And so I think for all of us, we're sort of in a pandemic forced to say what parts of normal served us, which no longer serve us, and how do we use this as an opportunity to create better solutions that actually meet the emerging needs for what's happening on the ground right now. So I could talk about this issue forever and ever, but I'm really, really passionate about just really having consumers of care and the folks who are delivering the care being at the same table in terms of really creating solutions that will, will serve us all. You're on mute, Shay. Sorry, the dog groomer arrived and my dog hates the groomer, even though she's like the sweetest young woman ever. So there was a lot of kerfuffle going on in the background. Um, Anyway, uh, I think this is such a great conversation to have, particularly after what we discussed last week we were talking about, um, and Yeti were talking about health insurance. I had an issue where I got kicked off my insurance for no reason. Well. There was some reason, but long, I don't want to retell the whole story, but, you know, again, realizing how important it is to be an advocate for ourselves to our healthcare providers, to our insurers, um, you know, I ended up because I had to call back, ended up getting a great deal on the exact same package, but I would have had no idea and working with entrepreneurs who often don't have any idea how to get health insurance or the underinsured. So yeah, I, I think continuing to learn how to be advocates for ourselves and having leaders like you in the space is so, so important. Um, But it's interesting, a lot of these comparisons that are coming up about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine with um, the risks that women have every day from birth control. And it's funny, I've read a couple articles that say it's not exactly apples to apples. People are kind of using that. It's, It's not really an apples to apples comparison, but again, it's important to know. And the fact that people, that these very basic statistics are not available to us as women is really scary. Um, and I would recommend a book for any woman. Of, it, it's a particularly about childbearing and child rearing, but there it's um, Emily Oster, if anyone is familiar with her work, and she's an economist and a statistician. So she looks at things like this and says, okay, if it's 0.04567237% chance that you're going to get that you may fall victim to this clotting disorder what does that really look like so i would recommend she has a great uh, newsletter that comes about once a week uh, and I, we will include that link but i would recommend looking at that but yeah the birth control conversation is interesting um i okay i can't believe i'm about to say this on air because i'm going to get 
call from my parents in like five minutes of like, Exclusive. are you okay? I'm like, no. Um, <laughs> But I, my husband and I, we, I decided to go off birth control for this very reason of like, I'm almost 37 and I've been on birth control for 15 years. I don't know what my actual cycle looks like. I don't know how to advocate for myself to my doctor because I just take whatever they give me and then everything is suppressed. So anyway, we've talked about this on here before. Um, but yeah, again, learning that self-advocacy piece uh, is so, so important. Yeah, and I think it's twofold, right? Like, so research, right, it's the outcomes of those studies are just as important as who's asking the questions. Mm -hmm. And he was, you know, setting up the research, right? And so I think often, you know, we describe women as being the chief health officer of the home. They make over 80% of the purchasing decisions. But when you look at leadership levels in healthcare or in business in general, right, we don't have the same representation, which means that the products and services that are being developed are not necessarily tailored to our specific needs. And so addressing this issue by getting more women into the C-suite is another avenue I've also taken, um, co-founded a health tech nonprofit that was focused on getting more women into the C-suite to address the specific issue, right? Because the folks who are designing products and services, the folks who are developing research studies, all of that informs, right, the end result. And so we need folks on both sides of the table. Yeah, that's a really important point. Cool. Well, and Yeti, I want to kick it over to you if you have any burning hot topics that you wanted to discuss. And if not, we can kick it into the interview, but want to want to see what's on your mind. Yeah, I mean, I know we were talking about sort of professional journeys and I was recently on Clubhouse and I heard a woman um, speaking. She is, um, you know, a nonprofit leader, really passionate about really women's issues, right? Um, um, Supporting folks in domestic violence and other issues and hadn't really figured out how to make her path sustainable. And so I really think this is a common theme that comes up a lot, which is that we know what we're passionate about, we know what we love, but we don't necessarily give ourselves permission to pursue that in a meaningful way. And so I just wanted to bring that to the table because I think millennials are kind of in this unique position, right, where they get to really set the pace of change right? They're driving a lot of the pace of change because they're in leadership roles where they can sort of shift the culture of organizations. So what does it look like when people actually love what they do, when work is fun, right? When we are allowed to really pursue our passions and our purpose and also make profit, right? What does that look like? So just curious what your perspectives are on that in terms of what you're seeing and hearing in the market. And Shay, you're on mute again. I always have good ideas too. I appreciate you guys' patience and and help as well. Uh, But, and Yeti, so I am part of a company called Breakaway, which is a bookkeeping and accounting firm. And our uh, key core value motto is bring joy to a joyless industry, who is the industry that is soul-sucking, has uh, not provided for women, has not provided for people of color, and start to create a space where uh, we're getting out of those old boy kind of partnership models and into something, again, that is uh, both more financially rewarding as well as personally rewarding for our advisors. Um, But it's really interesting because as people make the transition from corporate J-O-B to our, you know, a little bit of our hand-holding entrepreneurship, they're not, it is a franchise model, so they're not, you know, they've always got us there kind of 
keeping our hands on their back. Uh, but it's very hard, right? Because of all that trauma that they carry from the traditional corporate world and figuring out how to support them in a sustainable way has been a, a big part of the work that we're doing. And um, I don't know, I just would love to hear, I'm sure we're gonna get more into this during the interview as well, but I mean, in, what have you found in your work? What do you recommend to women who are trying to write, come into the second part of their career and have something that is sustainable? Because in my own work with entrepreneurs, I find it's, it's what I call like stage to entrepreneurship, right? Like you're all excited and you're baby and it's all great, but you're also not maybe C-suite level yet. So how do you make it through that that middle part that's going to be the biggest chunk of your career? And there are not a lot of great educational resources out there for people at that stage. Um, yeah, so I don't know if there was a question buried in there, but I just, I, I on that path with you. I'm picking up what you're putting down, Shay. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I already see the t-shirt right now from J-O-B to J-O-Y. Okay, that I can already see it and, and I'm, I'm feeling it. And, you know, I think there's a ton of resources and materials for like new entrepreneurs who want to grow their business, like how to make more money, right? Like yeah. how to, you know, scale and systematize your business. I don't think there's enough resources out there for the sustainability part. Right. And I work with a lot of organizations, both individuals one on one and coaching around burnout prevention, but also organizations who are saying women are leaving the workforce. They're leaving the workforce in droves, whether it's to take care of, you know, aging parents or their homeschooling kids or they're taking care of sick loved ones in the middle of this pandemic. And they're seeing them, you know, leave the workforce in droves. What do we do about it? Right. And so I think millennials, a lot of times you you're in between. You've got older parents and maybe young kids and you got to figure out how to navigate that in between and that doesn't mean that your career has got to be put on hold or that you've got to slow down your ambition what does it look like to actually design a world that centers our joy right and i think yeah. there's so much opportunity there yeah it's very radical so important and yeah. i'm glad that you mentioned the aging parent thing as well and yeti because I think that's been ignored and we are about to get into a situation with our amazing boomer population and they're going to need a lot of help and care. So being childless no longer is going to mean that you're free of caregiving, you know, responsibilities. So I appreciate yeah. that. I think I can speak on behalf of all of us for our listeners. Use this interview as your permission slip. I know you mentioned that in your initial talking about this topic and Yeti that people have the ideas and they have all the excitement, but they sometimes need that little extra oomph to give themselves permission. And I think that's where having a coach can really help do that. So looking forward to digging into more of that, how you practically deal with clients and that sort of thing. But I think this is a pretty natural transition into the interview portion. So I'd love in Yeti just to hear you kind of touched upon a little bit of the impetus for your business and um, losing your mom, but and the um, the layoff as well, but would love to hear a little bit more of your corporate journey and what made you take this pretty radical pivot to choosing joy, centering joy, and being an entrepreneur yourself. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, as I shared, I was on this path to sort of honor my mom's legacy and fix a broken health system. So that led me to taking a lot of roles um, that would understand how the health system works. And I remember, really before she passed, like in high school, I did an internship at a cancer research institute and I had a mentor. 
and I remember him like at the end you get this like feedback um uh you know performance review or whatever and I remember him telling me I would never make it in the sciences I would never be accepted to an Ivy League school like he really like was giving me his words of wisdom so to speak for how to sort of chart my career and i remember going home like devastated i was like in tears and my mom let me finish crying and i stopped she said are you finished crying and i said yeah and she said you never let anyone tell you what you can and cannot do right you never let anyone tell you what you can and cannot do so from that point on I was doing things, you know, just to see what was possible, right? Like, so if nothing is impossible, what is possible, right? So first I had to figure out, okay, how does this system work today? Spent a lot of time with large employers, like, you know, running corporate wellness initiatives for companies like GE and others to say, how do we really take care of the health and well-being of our people? I moved to New York City. I had big dreams, you know, from moving from upstate New York to be in the city um, and built my career, um, you know, working with a regional health insurance company. This was like shifting from a culture of no to a culture of yes. So like this is back in the day when pre-existing conditions were like a no-no. It was like saying, no, if you have diabetes, how do we actually design services around your specific needs. So that got me interested in the business side of health. And I went back to school, got an MBA in strategy, and then went into consulting. And I knew early on that consulting was the right thing for me because I got easily bored. Like I didn't like doing the same thing every day. So to yeah. go into new environments, new organizations, new teams, new geographies, all of that was very stimulating for me, right? And then having clients with big ambitions. So one of my largest clients was Walmart. They were saying, how do we take what we're good at in terms of understanding how to capture the hearts and minds of customers, understanding how to take costs out of the system, understanding how to be accessible in terms of care, and really disrupt the health industry. So that sort of really sort of breaking the mold was really infectious for me in terms of thinking about how do I do this differently? So while I'm doing all this, right, I'm taking care of the well-being of others. I'm focusing on, you know, advancing the health industry. My own health is in shambles. I didn't recognize it, but it was burnout, right? And what that looked like for me looks different on everyone. For me, my hair is falling out in clumps by the handful, right? It's just like falling out in clumps. I'm having these heart palpitations that are just keeping me up at night. And I'm having this terrible knee pain, which is a real buzzkill because I'm a busy on the go person and it's slowing me down while I'm running to catch my flights. So of course I ignore all of that because you know, when you're a superwoman, that's just what you do, you just power through, you push through. Until one day I walk past a reflection of myself in the mirror and I see that I had lost a sparkle in my eyes. And it was just like the lights are on in nobody's home, you know? And it was at that moment I realized I spent the bulk of my career, 20 years in healthcare. It is a sick care system. It's focused on preventing illness and preventing death. It is not focused on wellness, right? So the absence of illness isn't wellness. What would it look like for me to flourish and to thrive? And so that's when I went on this quest to figure out what does it really mean to flourish? I found that researchers at the Harvard School of Public Health had done a flourishing study and they really define wellness in much broader terms. So rather than what we normally think of health as like physical health, like I gotta eat less and move more, they defined it within these other categories, including things like career satisfaction, including things like financial stability. So when we sit in the middle of this pandemic, where we've got our physical health, right, and our mental health suffering because of social isolation, 
we've got really the economic downturn. Maybe we have family or friends who've lost jobs, right? And we're supporting loved ones. And then we've got these ongoing like racial justice, right? And tension, social tensions that are going on. It's no wonder why we all don't feel well, right? So really sort of thinking about health holistically, creating a new framework. I call it the Kaisung method. And the word Kaisung means journey and reflects our individual and collective paths to wellness. And I basically use a three-step process called mind body swagger to help guide my clients through that transformation of how do you really go from being burned out and un, you know uninspired to really being lit up and on fire for your career and your life so it's all about how to go from dream job to dream life that's so powerful love that <laughs> I'm, I'm very curious in a couple different levels this year obviously of covid that we've been in which has been largely focused on preventing a very one very particular illness and stopping the spread of that particular illness. And it struck me what you said about wellness is not the absence of illness. And so how do you feel like this year of COVID has shifted your perspective in your work? Has it at all? Are you sick of talking about COVID? It absolutely has shifted my perspective because I think it's actually brought things more into focus. I think that, you know, pre-COVID, we could think of these issues as being one-off, right? You're in a toxic work environment, you're burnt out, that's your problem, right? You're in a relationship that isn't serving you, that's your problem, right? We could kind of think of these as sort of individual issues that we all were sort of navigating. But COVID was an opportunity for us all to experience a collective you know, experience that really made us all focus on what were the most urgent things to tackle now and what were the things that would move the needle the most to improve um, overall, right, experience of well-being. And so for me, it has helped bring things more into focus and has helped accelerate progress in areas that I've invested in the past. So even things like virtual and remote teams, right? In health, I used to do virtual care models, telemedicine. None of that took off to the pace it did until we had COVID, right? COVID forced us to think about how do we deliver care in a virtual way? It's the same with flexible work arrangements, right? How many folks have gone to their boss and said, hey, could I work remote if you did? Oh, it's not possible, right? There's no way we could possibly make a special case in it. Now we're in a situation where, oh, all of a sudden it is possible. We are able to be productive in a world in which we're working remotely, right? What does that look like? What could it look like if we designed our work around our well-being and in a way that centered wellness for everyone, right? So I think it just opens up more possibilities for the way we work. It opens up more possibilities for more flourishing lives. And I think it opens up more imagination, Right, which is really needed when it comes to creating the innovation to solve some of these more complex and pressing challenges. So yeah, I've been fired up by the work, right? Um, I know it's come with a lot of collective grief and trauma, and that's why I kind of share my experience as well of navigating through that because I know that it's not easy. But to the extent that we normalize that, being human at work, right? What does that look like? Um, I think it makes for a better um, better leaders, you know, candidly speaking. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm curious because we actually um, launched a book club and the book that we're reading that's coming up, I think the episode after this that people can listen to, um, Can't Even by uh, Anne Helen Peterson about burnout. And you mentioned burnout kind of as the beginning point that you um, 
start with your clients. And that's a huge part of your own story and journey with starting this business. And you said it can kind of look different on everyone. And I think this concept of burnout is so new and so millennial, and it encompasses so many different things. So kind of want to focus a little bit on that topic. What does burnout mean to you? Where do you see it manifest in clients? And do you feel like it's a a new phenomenon with the millennial generation? Or do you think it's just kind of fancy marketing that wraps up a lot of stuff that's been around forever? Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing, right? The World Health Organization defines burnout, like actually classifies it, right, as as a diagnosis, for lack of better um, terms, right? So really looking at this exposure to excess workplace stress, right? And then that leading to feelings of overwhelm, right? Um, this apathy towards your work, this lack of motivation, right? And, and lack of ability to concentrate and focus, right? We all may be experienced that at different seasons of life, but we've had, think about this prolonged period of stress we've all been under in the yeah. year, which has only accelerated it. There are also certain industries where you would see it being at higher rates, right? So like healthcare is one, that's my background, so I point to that. But think about the physicians and nurses who are on the front lines. Right. They're not getting a break. They're not getting to tap out and say, hey, I'm going to work remotely. Right. They're on the ground. They're um, experiencing tremendous grief and trauma as a result of the care they're delivering out in the field. But there are other industries where it's the culture. Right. A lot of professional service. You talked about Shane, financial services. Right. Um, legal. Right. Is another one where folks are just really they're burning the candle at both ends. Right. And so even tech. Right. Tech hasn't shut down in this environment that we're living in. They've only accelerated, right? And maybe been asked to do more with less. And so all of that sort of leads to and contributes this heightened sense of burnout. Then we look at, okay, who is burnout more, who are more at risk for burnout? We find that women and folks of color. So I recently started um, a 21 day harmony journey, which is basically an anti burnout campaign that I'm doing with organizations, we're inviting 21 organizations to go on this 21 day harmony journey, and it's all about preventing burnout and achieving greater work life harmony. So we did our December pilot, and we found that, you know, women and folks of color were experiencing burnout at higher rates. They were greater risk for it, experiencing at higher rates, and more likely to leave the workforce, right, as a result of that. McKinsey and others found a lot of that around their women in the workforce studies, right? So it really correlated to what we were seeing in the market. Well, how do we sort of break that down and actually address the root cause issues? A lot of organizations will say, let's do meditation. Let's do some yoga and deep breathing. And I say it's going to take more than a few deep breaths to solve this problem. You know, it's going to take flexible policies. It's going to take, um, you know, incentives, right, for folks to really understand what to focus on. It's going to take um, really integrated solutions that look at the whole person, right, from financial um, reimbursements to other areas, right, in terms of really the way we work, right? And it's going to take really leadership, team building, making folks feel connected to their purpose and and why they're there and so i think when you really tap into all of these really integrated solutions it helps to point to what are the opportunities for us to move the needle how can we drive a culture of wellness and then how can we actually incorporate the feedback we're hearing from the field into how we're sort of really charting the path going forward so I'm really encouraged by what's happening in the pandemic in terms of the heightened interest and focus on this topic. And I think that a lot of the solutions we create are going to have ripple effects, hopefully to counter what we're seeing, you know, in terms of keeping more women in the workforce for years to come. So, Yeah, I 
Oh my gosh. Love everything. Everything you just said, there were so many wonderful points uh, there, but I, I, I love particularly what you said about it's more than we're going to have our monthly workshop on meditation today. Um, and again, I think this is a similar thing that people are experiencing in the DE&I space, which is like, it's not enough to just be like, we're having our workshop on racism today. That doesn't really do anything. It's about teaching leaders how to lead in a way that overcomes these issues. Um, and again, so much of that is, okay, great. You can do all your deep breathing, as you said, um, but I'm curious, Anyeti, what advice do you give to leaders who really want to do it day to day? What type of language do you recommend they use with their staff or even with themselves? Um, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, so that's a great question, Shay. And we saw that gap show up quite a bit, right? So that 75%, um, just about 75% of employees at all staff levels in our December pilot were at high risk for burnout, yet only 35.7% of them reported regularly prioritizing time for self-care, right? So there was that disconnect. Those numbers even look different when you start looking at, you know, taking care of the well-being of others. So not only do I have a disconnect in how I prioritize my own wellness and take care of myself, if I'm a leader, I actually don't know how to take care of my team, right, when they're coming to me with these complex issues. So, you know, we had to really work with organizations to say, where do we focus our efforts? One of the bright spots in the study was that a lot of times folks who are on a team feel that their manager cares more for their well-being than the overall company. So how to really strengthen the leadership development for those who are in managerial roles to really equip them with the tools to actually improve, right, the team morale and dynamics on their team. And so a lot of that really involves like leadership development and training initiatives, but also requires organizations to take a hard look and say, how are we actually equipping our leaders to lead through crisis, right? If they don't know how to, what to say, right? You talk about DEI as an example. They may know all the terms, but if they don't know how to use it in a sentence, right? And they can't have a difficult conversation, it's not meaningful. The same is true for burnout. If they know all the signs and symptoms, but they don't know what to do about it, right? There's no real prevention or mitigation there. And so that's why our our training really integrates the nine essentials of total health, right? Helps them to understand the burnout signs and symptoms, but then also, right, provides them with the tools about what to really do about it. Where do we go from here? So it gives organizations great insight into where the greatest opportunities for growth are, but then it also helps them to navigate a path going forward so they can use that as a catalyst for change. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. So it seems like your work you have the work that's geared towards organizations helping them navigate more high-level organizational change, but then you also do a ton of work with individuals in a coaching capacity. So maybe you can talk a little bit more about those individual processes and any themes that you're seeing with your clients, especially millennial clients. Yeah, yeah. So I have a ton of millennial clients. Um, many of them are either climbing a traditional ladder. So they're saying, hey, I wanna go for that promotion to get into an executive role. What does it look like to position myself? So a lot of times when you're in junior roles, you're like focused on tasks, right? You're putting your head down, you're doing good work, your work speaks for itself. When you're trying to advance to that executive level, now you've gotta actually be building power networks. You've gotta be positioning yourself and building relationships, positioning yourself as a thought leader so people know who you are and what you're about and also developing a personal brand. So I really, my framework for Mind, Body, Swagger in terms of developing a personal brand, I had to create what I 
had no job, right? When I was laid off and I didn't have a job title to hide behind, I didn't have a prestigious firm to hide behind. I had to figure out who am I? You know, what makes me tick? What makes me unique, right? That involved me going back to childhood and thinking about things that really lit me up. And so I think there's a lot of ways that we kind of fixate on what we do, but we don't think about who we are and personal branding bridges both of those worlds. It's what we do and it's also who we are. And proactively telling that story is what attracts new opportunities to you that really builds a platform for you to attract clients, attract new job opportunities and be recognized by leadership for promotion. So I work a lot with folks on just that piece of really developing their personal brand and really um, building more executive presence to go for that next level. The second group of folks is really people who are side hustling, right? So they're they're in the main nine to five, but they're like, I don't know if this is what I want to continue going forward. So giving them permission to say, how would I scale this? What would it look like if I were to design a life on my own terms, right? So giving them permission to dream a bit and play a bit. And that's where sort of my strategy background comes into handy because it's giving them not just a clear vision for what that new life might look like, but the tools to actually design it and, and, and go after it. And then the third group are really entrepreneurs. They're running their own businesses or they're C-suite. They're at the top of the ladder already, right? And they're saying, give me more, right? I, I've already made the money. I've already gotten the accolades. I've already gotten to the top of the chain. How do I actually now not lose myself in the process? What does it look like to actually care for me? Right. And that's a whole different skill set. So I know we talked at the top of this conversation about like giving permission. Right. And I think we all define success differently. And so some of those challenges, depending on where you are in your journey, right, require different solutions. So I'm definitely not a fan of one size fits all. I'm way more about sort of customized and tailored to what the specific needs and challenges of that particular transition that a client is going through. Yeah, yeah that's so important. Yeah, and I love this, the, that your whole methodology and Yeti is about being proactive. And I think, gosh, that's what we're missing in, in so many arenas of life. But uh, the less, the more proactive and less reactive we can be, the more success we'll have, it, it, however we define that. Yeah. yeah, and it's so funny. I have a client, former client, who just got promoted to VP, got a 100K salary increase. But the yeah. thing I was most proud of her for was not the, you know, new title of money, but the fact that she took vacation, right, to honor and celebrate. Yeah. And I think so many times we don't pause to celebrate those wins. We just keep powering through to the next conquest and say, okay, I'm not going to be happy until I achieve this next success. But really giving ourselves to celebrate in the moment where we are today, I think, can be so powerful. You know, our motto Eddie Dem Spark is life is a song, your body is your instrument, play it like no one's watching. And so I really just take that to heart to say like how, what does it really mean to fully live life out loud, not because we think we should follow this path or because we think we're expected to, you know, um, pursue these ambitions, but that we're really centering the ambitions that are dearest to our heart and then honoring and celebrating once we accomplish them. And I feel very validated that you brought up the celebration thing because my clients, I've gotten a few eye rolls, I'll say, when I say that you need to take some time to celebrate whatever the, the win is. And so I'm going to I'm gonna send them to you and I'll be like, here's someone who's backing me up on this. You got to celebrate. Yeah, it's so important. It's so mm-hmm. important, and especially never now more than, you know, the time we're living in, I feel like. Every day is a celebration. It doesn't feel like that for sure when we are holding so much, 
But I do think that giving ourselves permission to ignite that joy, to find that spark within is what sustains us even in those moments when, you know, we're, we're feeling burdened, right? Or overwhelmed. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have one last question for Inyeti. Shay, do you have awesome. any additional questions? I mean, I could talk all day, but I think we are nearing the, the end of our time. So Maddie, I'll let you take the last one. Yeah. So I think the through line throughout all of this is obviously finding joy. So what's something if people are listening um, that they could do to find more joy today? What's something where people who are, you know, picking up what we're putting down and they're like, I want to start on this journey to joy. What's something that they could do day one, moment one that would make an impact? Yeah, I think the first thing is to stop taking yourself so seriously. (laughs) I know that's hard because I'm very intense on type A as well, right? And like, I think we have this hyper focus on productivity, but what does it look like to um, just simply do something for the joy of doing it, right? For some people that might be gardening, trying out a new recipe, um, you know, painting or singing or dancing, whatever it is that really for you is the thing that unlocks that, right? That that flow for you, right? So for me, I grew up, I was in an acapella group um, in college. I was that, you know, kind of like musical theater nerd. And I remember like after my mom passed away, like I stopped singing, like I didn't sing for a long time. And it wasn't until I realized that that was one of those things that lit me up, that I really was like, I gotta find karaoke. You know, like where's karaoke happening? Let me at it, you know? So I think that, Sometimes we have to give ourselves like a little bit permission, not just when you're on vacation, but something in every day, you know, in every week that allows you to unlock that part of you that reminds you of what that feels like so that you can recreate it over and over and over again. And when you recognize what that feeling of joy feels like, how do you actually replicate it in your every day? That is, I think, a really powerful position to be in because I think we're all so attuned and like conditioned to right think that work has to be hard, life has to be hard, but really how do we actually intentionally, right, seek out joy and ease and playfulness? I think that is something that people can incorporate immediately. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. All right, well, shifting gears then to our archery range. So, and Yeti, we're gonna ask you a series of rapid fire questions. There might be some that we ask you for a favorite. It doesn't have to be the favorite. Could just be what's top of mind or something recent. And we'll we'll keep the train moving. So we'll start. Favorite book? Favorite book. Um, So recently um, I read a book maybe a few years ago called How to um, Designing Your Life, How to Build a Well-Lived and Joyful Life. It's written by two Stanford professors who are all about design thinking. And so like if you're a tech person or you're into design thinking and innovation, it's like really how to reimagine your life if you're going through a major transition and you want to really figure out what matters most to me. This is a book that I would definitely recommend, How to Build a Well-Lived and Joyful Life. Uh, uh, favorite movie? Favorite movie. I mean, there's just so many good ones, you know, like I'm, I'm a sucker for like Love Actually, you know, those kind of really ridiculous rom-com types. Um, 
Coming to America, the original was a classic uh, for me, just because, you know, <laughs> coming from an African family and then seeing sort of the ridiculous over-the-top portrayals of the culture, I was like, you know, I would say Black Panther definitely did an elevated and elegant um, version of that. Um, but yeah, I love films that make me laugh. I love films that make me imagine new ways of being, you know, that really sort of paint a new picture of what possibility could be, for sure. Favorite year of school? Favorite year of school? Um, I would have to say my second year in business school. I think the first year was very traumatic for me because I was like, what is happening? Like I had been out of school for so long and I was like in these classes, like I was like, you know, like you're just like the, the cobwebs, you're dusting it off. But the second year I studied abroad in South Africa. I like took, you know, I took more time to delight and have joy in it. I think I was really hard on myself. Um, and so the second year I was like, you know, I'm going to have fun with this. So I think that I really treasured, had, you know, great friendships come out of it and great, you know, it was a really turning point for my career. So I would say that, that was my favorite year in school. That's amazing. Uh, favorite childhood snack? Favorite childhood snack? You guys are really making me go back. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, so this is so weird, but cornflakes, it sounds very corn tasty. <laughs> no, you know, it was like the thing. And, and I would love a bowl of cornflakes. And I just remember growing up, like my mom would like wrap. So we would always get like store brand, whatever, like we came from humble beginnings or whatever, but Christmas time, my mom would get Kellogg's cornflakes and wrap them up in, in, um, you know, gift wrap <laughs> and put them under the tree. And it's like every year you're like, oh, surprise, it's cornflakes. <laughs> that is, I, I have to say, I mean, that would have to be my snack of choice. That paints a very that. beautiful picture. And <laughs> I'm from Michigan, which is where Kellogg's is. So I believe in the power of Kellogg's to Thank bring you. joy. Um, favorite TV show? Favorite TV show? Uh, is it bad if it's reality TV? No. I mean, oh, no. girl. No, I, you know, I just get in my fix with the Real Housewives of Atlanta. I got to keep up and yes. see what's going on. You know, I just, I just think there's sometimes like I'll, I'll like to just turn my mind off and like just focus on, uh, you know, um, seeing what's going on in other people's lives. And so I think that um, that show, there's, I just love they're very funny. Like there's always drama, but I just think they're very witty and they've always got something going on. And I love that they're building businesses and things like that. So yes, that's my guilty pleasure. Love yeah, it. No it. guilt here, just pleasure. <laughs> I mean, question, this is a bit of a side question. So I'm not, I've never really watched the housewives, but I've heard that Atlanta is like the best one. Does everyone agree? That's unanimous. Yeah. I'm not going to get any yeah. arguments from me here. Yeah. Yeah. Maddie, do you have any controversy opinions? Controversial <laughs> no, opinions? No, I mean, on that? I feel like the newer ones always have like the novelty factor. Like Salt Lake is like the newest Ooh, one. Oh, so yeah. it's like you're getting to know new characters. So I feel like sometimes it's just like a recency bias with me in the Housewives. But mm -hmm. Atlanta's really good. I do is, like that one. Um, Nisi Nash, still, she was in a, on the Atlanta one, right? No. no. What was she on? Who you have to go back, Shay. Shay, you, you don't I even have to know. I go back. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't even know. Why am I even talking? I know nothing about housewives. Shay needs like a Reader's Digest housewives. She needs the book notes version. I love it. There's only 18,000 episodes. I love it. If you start now, you can catch up by the end of the year. Okay, perfect. This is great. Eight months, nine months, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Yeti for being here where can people find you if people want to work with you how can they work with you let us know yeah well thank you so much for having me it's been such a joy uh to have this conversation i always say my love language is chit chat so you know i could talk about this stuff for hours if folks want to get in touch with me they can find me on instagram that's edem spark i-d-e-m spark on instagram and that's where we'll share all the latest updates like um our new swagger school program that's coming out um so folks can get all the latest and greatest and then if they want to work with me they can find me on my website which is edem spark life.com that's i-d-e-m spark life.com i-d-e-m spark life.com and they can um join my career swagger program awesome definitely look into that well thanks so much and yeti thank you for having me maddie and shay it's been a a, been a pleasure yeah thank you all right thanks campers we will see you next week